Good morning. Uh, it's good to be with you all this morning. Uh, I hope everyone had a good holiday. Um, got back two days ago, so it's good to be back. Um, if you're new, my name is Jason. I am one of the youth interns here at this church, um, and I'll be bringing today's sermon to us this morning. Um, and for today, we'll be continuing our two-week transition from our Advent series to our uh, First Samuel series. Um, Zach preached on Luke chapter 2 last week. And I'll be preaching on Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Um, if you are using the Pew Bible in front of you, uh, you can turn to page 554 for Ecclesiastes chapter 3. So if you will, let's pray before we dive into God's word together. Lord, we thank you for this morning. Um, we pray for your spirit to be upon us, um, that we may understand your word, um, to see the gift that it is, to see what you want us for us to know about you. So I uh, pray for that this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So it's that time of year for New Year's resolutions. Um, it's a new year, and maybe there's things that you want to do, right? Make a new habit or maybe stop an old habit. Um, personally, I don't really do New Year's resolutions, but if I had to make one, I'd probably be spending less time on social media, um, maybe spending less time on YouTube or for Instagram. Uh, maybe that's something that you like to try as well. Um, but if you're also like me, um, that making a New Year's resolution will probably not go so well. Um, you'll probably end up in failure. Um, but the thing is, uh, we're not alone in our failure. Uh, most uh, people actually do fail. According to an online poll done last year, 80% um, of people uh, end up in failure. They fail, fail to live out their New Year's resolutions. And actually, most people fail by the month of February. Now, why is that? Well, I think it's because life is difficult, right? Um, internally, it's hard to muster up the motivation uh, to start new habits or to stop old ones. Um, but externally, life, uh, life circumstances can, can stop us. Unexpected things can happen. Um, maybe things get busy or we get bogged down. Um, and then by the time February comes around, um, we've already forgotten what our New Year's resolution was. It's a cycle of trying and trying every year, but we never really get anywhere. Um, maybe that's uh, also how you feel with COVID as well. Um, in the next two, uh, next two months, we're about to start uh, year three of this pandemic. Um, and regardless of where you, uh, what you feel about COVID, um, I think this is also not where we want to be with COVID. Uh, COVID sucks and we want COVID to be gone. Maybe for some of us, we actually want to rewind back to 2019 and just stay in that year forever. Or maybe we just want to redo the past two years. But I think we all know that's quite impossible. Um, life's, life's time upon us is, has no mercy sometimes. Um, the mercy of life circumstances um, is, is upon us, right? And the more that I hang out with youth, I think uh, we really do, they really do understand this reality. Gen Z sees this reality and they ask themselves, what is the point to actually growing up, going to college, uh, having a good family, having a good house, um, retiring by the age of 50, if life uh, can throw things like COVID at you? Life is pretty unpredictable. We try so hard to control it, um, but if we really thought about it, we actually have no control at all. And I think that's a bit scary, right? That's why I think the book of Ecclesiastes um, is so important for us. 
whether you are a Christian or not, Ecclesiastes is a helpful book because it talks about things in life that are very gray. Life is not clean cut. Life is not nice and tidy. And Ecclesiastes talks about things like that. The author of Ecclesiastes, who calls himself the preacher in chapter 1, he's the type of person that we can say, you know, life's not fair. And he responds back, I know. I know what it's like to have life not being fair. But what's the most helpful thing about Ecclesiastes um, is not that, it's not being related to, but it actually is pointing us to God. That this unfair reality that we experience within life is the way we see God. Our human experience points us to God, and the preacher, and the preacher wants to show us that. So what we're going to do is dive into this uh, small snippet of this book together, just chapter 3. Um, and we're going to split up this book into three parts, um, and we're going to see three different things in this chapter. Um, the first thing we're going to see is humanity's struggle with time. Uh, the second is God's control of time. And then third, uh, God's control of fate. Um, so let's turn to our first point together uh, in verses 1 through 9, uh, humanity's struggle with time. Verse 1, for everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. A time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to seek and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to cast away, a time to tear and a time to sow, a time to keep silence and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. What gain has the worker from his toil? This is the word of the Lord. As we look at the beginning of this chapter, uh, what we see is the preacher is actually giving us something to observe. Uh, he doesn't teach us any new doctrine or any theology as of yet. Um, but he gives us something to ponder and to think about. He's inviting us to think and to feel with him. Um, and he does that through the use of poetry. So if you look in verse 1 again, uh, he tells us what this poem is actually going to be about. He says, For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. So what this poem is going to be about is about time and seasons and what we do in those times and seasons. And that's exactly what we see in this poem. So if you look at every line, there's the word time shows up twice. Uh, we can also see in that each line, each line also has two actions. Every time or season has an action, a time, uh, an action associated with the time. But here's where it gets complicated, and I think this is where the preacher wants us to concentrate our attention. Every time an action has an opposite time and action. And that's, there's a time for weeping, there's a time for laughing, there's a time for silence, a time for speaking. Life can go back and forth, and that's the preacher's observation about his own life. But what's even more confusing is that these times come unannounced. If we look at this poem some more, um, there's no discernible pattern to the, to the poem. It's kind of random. Um, aside from the first line where he talks about being born or, being, or dying, uh, the preacher doesn't give us a logical uh, timeline of seasons or events in between being born or dying. But I think that's life, right? 
life is unpredictable. It doesn't make sense a lot of the time. And this is the preacher's struggle with time. If you look at the last verse of our section together, verse 9, he says, uh, What gain has the worker from his toil? So what the preacher is basically asking himself is, what's the point? What do I actually gain in all that I do in my life? You know, when I faithfully wake up for my 9 to 5 job every weekday and do that for years and years and years, I think it makes a lot of sense to ask this type of question. You know, what's the point? What do I actually, why am I actually doing this? And that's the preacher's struggle. So there's a popular 1965 song um, by the Birds, the band The Birds. Um, and the song is called Turn, Turn, Turn. Um, now, uh, I admit that I, do not, I did not know about this song. I'm a bit too young to know this song. Uh, this, someone told me about this song. When, I, when they heard I was preaching this sermon. Um, and it's actually pretty helpful, right? Because this, this song is actually based on this poem, Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Um, and why I mention this, uh, this song is that I think the band actually resonates with uh, this poem. In, their, in the chorus, they sing this. Uh, to everything, turn, turn, turn. There is a season, turn, turn, turn. So for the birds, I think they saw that time keeps moving whether we like it or not. Um, now, I'm not sure if they were Christian or not, um, but I think you don't have to be to actually understand this poem because it talks about the human experience, how life is unpredictable. So the birds, you know, they experience life's unpredictability, um, and for them it was quite frustrating. Um, they sing this last line of their song. Uh, it says this, uh, a time for peace I swear it's not too late. So clearly the birds, they take a time for peace uh, from this poem, but then they add their own little line at the end. They say, I, uh, I swear it's not too late. Now, just for context, the birds were uh, singing in a time of the Vietnam War. Um, so what they're actually pleading, uh, trying to sing about is that they're pleading for peace, right? They want the time of war to end. They want a change of seasons. But as they know from the poem, it's out of their control, right? The seasons turn, 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 but it's actually not up to them when it actually does. So like the birds, um, we can also relate uh, to this preacher and his poem. We also experience seasons that turn and turn, right? We go through seasons of celebration and grief, right? Times where we go where things seem to go our own way uh, and other times where it doesn't seem to go our way, times of prospering or times where we feel quite lost. So what the preacher says is not foreign to any type of person. His experience is also our experience. As humans, we have no control over time, and I think that's an unsettling reality. And I think it makes sense that we ask the same question as the preacher. What is the point? So that's how we get to our second section. Um, we'll see how the preacher answers this question. Um, and what we'll find out is that God is actually in control of time, and that is the point. Uh, so read along with me verses 9 through 15. I've seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. Uh, he has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, so, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from beginning to the end. I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live, also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. 
This is God's gift to man. I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it. God has done it so that people fear before him. That which is already has been, that which is to be already has been, and God seeks what has been driven away. So after telling us his poem, uh, the preacher reflects, right? He's asked us this question, asked this question to himself, what is the point? And what we see is a preacher is not led to despair or he's not led to frustration. Um, he doesn't even conclude that life is meaningless. Uh, what he realizes is that this struggle with time is actually the way that we can see God. It points us to God, and that is the point. Our struggles with time help us to see that God is in control of time. Now let's see how the preacher gets there. So if you look at verse 11, the preacher helps us to understand that the only reason we're able to ask this question, what is the point, is because God has made us this way. In verse 11, he says, God has put eternity into man's heart. So as humans, we're not robots, right? God, we're made in God's image, and because of that, we're made for this longing for purpose and meaning. Uh, we want our lives and ourselves to matter, right? Not just in the moment, but for all of eternity. This is actually a God-given gift to us. So this urge to find this broader purpose or meaning for our seasons and times, this is actually a good thing. This is given by God. God's not asking us to go through life, going through the motions and having no meaning at all. But there's also another realization from the preacher. Um, God has given us this desire for eternity, this longing for purpose, but he's not given us the ability to fulfill this on our own. Uh, we are naturally limited. We are a created thing, right? Unable to create our own purpose and our own meaning. In God's, in God's world, that is actually God's role for us. He is the creator who determines the purpose and meaning of every season and time, and he actually determines what happens in your life. Now, I think that might sound a bit scary, right? But it's not actually to the preacher. Um, if we look, uh, as we continue, look with me again at verses 12 to 13. I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live, that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. So what we see is God is not actually an evil God. God is a gift giver. He's given mankind lives where we can actually seek joy, do good, eat and drink, and to do good work, right? Now, I think for some of us, that might be a weird thing to hear. I know it is for me, um, because I often tell myself that the Christian life is all about suffering all the way to heaven, right? Only in heaven do we not have suffering. Not have joy, I'm sorry. Um, do we actually go through our own life with no joy in, until we get to heaven? Is that God's gift to us? But what we see here is that that's actually not biblical. Yes, a Christian life is full of suffering. I'm not trying to downplay that at all. Um, but God actually cares about the joy in your life, that he actually cares about having goodness in your life. And I think that's the teaching here. But the thing is, we have to remember that this life is, can only be received when it is a gift. God gives it to us. But the thing is, we mess this up all the time. We either ignore God or make ourselves to be God by trying to control our own lives. We tell ourselves, if, if I can only make this happen next in my life, then I'll truly be fulfilled. That everything that I'm doing now 
will be finally worth it um, in this life. God gives us seasons and times to help us to see life as a gift and to actually see him. It's not to see ourselves, not to leave ourselves to our, uh, to our own devices, but we mess this up all the time. And, that's, and the reason why we do that is because we actually have no fear of God within us. So that's exactly the response we should have. If we look at verses 14 through 15, look with me again. The preacher says, I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it. God has done it so that people fear before him. That which is, is already has been, and that which is to be already has been. And God seeks what has been driven away. So what we see is God actually controls all aspects of time. He controls what happens in the past, the present, the future, and why it's actually happening. And that, and that is why we should actually fear him, as verse 14 says. Now, what's actually meant here is not uh, being afraid. Um, fear here is actually meant for something more. Um, and what that means is that we actually have to be in awe of God because of his capabilities. That we should be worshiping God. That is what is meant here. Because God is the one who actually controls our times. When we actually realize his capability of doing that. Now, recognizing life as something to be received rather than something to control, I admit that, you know, that's really hard. Uh, whether we do this intentionally or not, uh, we don't like anyone dictating our own life. We want to be in control. But do you know what type of person doesn't struggle with this, uh, doesn't struggle with this at all? It's actually infants, right? Infants don't struggle with this at all because infants know they have limits, they actually go to their parents knowing that they need help to navigate this new world that they are in. So while in seminary, I've been learning about this uh, thing called attachment theory. Um, and basically, if you are unfamiliar, uh, what it is is that it's based on how an infant experiences their relationship with their parents, it, it, we can actually predict how they'll uh, function later on in life. And there's actually some research that backs this up. So, for example, if an infant is able to depend on his parents and experiences a secure relationship with them, then she, he or she is more likely to grow up being able to face the difficulties of this world. It doesn't protect them from failure, grief, or loss, or anything difficult in their life, but it enables them to actually experience life in a way that's healthy and satisfying. On the opposite end, if, it, if an infant isn't able to depend on his parents, and experiences an insecure relationship with them, that infant is being more likely to grow up being fearful, anxious, maybe erratic, overly controlling, uh, unable to face the difficulties of this world. Their lack of experience of dependence ruined their ability to live their own life. Now I bring up attachment theory because I think it brings to light how good and necessary it is to see God as the one in control. When we go life alone, we are like infants who, who have no dependable parents. We become fearful and anxious, always worried about how we should navigate this world on our own. And the thing is, you will definitely fail if you're on your own. And this is true if you think you've succeeded at life because success is always dependent on you. As the seasons and times come upon you, you have to continually conquer them. Right? The burden of success is on you, and that's an overbearing 
responsibility. But I urge you to see it God's way. Attachment theory shows us that we need an earthly caretaker, right, to actually live our life. We actually have to depend on someone to actually live. But maybe we can actually see this theory pointing us to God, that we actually need an ultimate caretaker. And that ultimate caretaker is God because he controls the seasons and times and their meanings. We may never understand it, but God is dependable and trustworthy. It's not for us to know what these seasons and times mean, but God knows. And as an infant, we actually aren't able to know. We have to trust in another person to do that. Now, if you're like me, this might be not the most satisfying answer, right? It's helpful. Um, But maybe we actually have uh, one more problem with God when it comes to controlling time. And the preacher notices that too, um, because uh, I understand that I can't control time. But when God controls time, why do things like evil and injustice happen in the seasons and times? Why do things like stealing, lying, murder, oppression, why do those things happen if God actually controls all that happens within history? So the problem of evil evil is where we turn our attention next, um, and it's the preacher's last reflection upon time. So read with me the last section, uh, verses 16 through 22. Um, This is where we find out that God is in control of fate. So moreover, I saw under the sun that in the place of justice, even there was wickedness in the Even there was wickedness. In the place of righteousness, even there was wickedness. I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked, for there is a time for every matter and for every work. I said in my heart, with regard to the children of man, that God is testing them, that they may see that they themselves are but beasts. For what happens to the children of man and what happens to the beasts is the same. As one dies, so dies the other. They all have the same breath, and man has no advantage over the beast, for all is vanity. All go to one place, all from the dust, and to dust all return. Who knows whether the spirit of man goes upward and the spirit of the beast goes down into the earth. So I saw that there is nothing better than that a man should rejoice in his work, for that is his lot. Who can bring him to see what it will be after him? So what we see is that God is not only in control of time here, but he's also actually in control of how we use our time. He's also the one who judges how we use our time. And that's our third and final point. God is the one who controls our fate. Look with me at verse 17 and 18 again. I said in my heart, God would judge the righteous and the wicked, for there is a time for every matter and work. I said in my heart with regard to the children of man that God is testing them, that they may see that they themselves are but beasts. So for the preacher, this is both a comforting and humbling thought for his heart. Um, It's comforting because God actually does take care of evil and judges evil in this world. And I think for the birds, they would have been comforted by this, right? They wanted justice to be done during the time of the Vietnam War. And to hear this would be very comforting, that God actually does judge, that he does care about how we actually use our seasons and times. But it's also humbling. This is because when we actually realize that we have no control over time, We actually have no control over something else as well, and that's our own fate. And the preacher here uh, compares us even to animals uh, when it comes to that. 
We would like to think we're in control, but really we have no control over our fate in the same way that, we, that pet dogs and pet cats actually have no control over their own fate. Now, I think that should really humble us as humans. In the Marvel show Loki, um, this is actually uh, exactly what happens to the main character. Um, if you are unfamiliar with uh, this show, the, the main character Loki, uh, what happens to him is that he, exp he ends up doing something that is outside the direction of his life. Right, so he goes outside the timeline. Bear with me. Um, <laughs> but uh, this draws the attention of the TVA, right? Um, the TVA is the organization that is in charge of timekeeping, right? And they're and uh, the people who lead the TVA, they're known, uh, the mysterious people who lead the TVA, they're known as the, the timekeepers. Um, and what happens when Loki finds out that this organization, the TVA, exists, and that there's people like the timekeepers that exist, um, what happens to him is that he's humbled. And this is a big deal because uh, Loki is naturally cocky, right? He, he naturally thinks that he's the center of the universe, that he can actually control his own life. But when he realizes that the TVA exists and that the timekeepers exist, he's humbled. And he has this little existential crisis when he realizes that he does not actually control his own fate. So being humbled, I think, is the preacher's response, right? If you look in, uh, in verses 12 and 13, So I saw that there is nothing better than that a man should rejoice in his work, for that is his lot. So what God's gift to man, uh, gift to humanity, is a life to seek joy, to do good, to eat and drink, and to worship God. That's our lot. That's our gift from God. Now, I think that's comforting because it's actually no less than that. Right? We actually have a really good gift. But it's also humbling because it's no more than that. And I think as humans, we tend to try to make it more than that. So what does this mean for us? Well, I think is actually do this, right? As we get, approach the year 2022, I think this is what we actually have to do. He's testing us. That's what God is doing. That's what he says in this passage, that he's testing us if we will live lives in that way. And he will judge us for it. But just so we're, you know, humbled a bit more this morning, um, I have news. We will fail at this mandate. We will fail at this command to live a lives of seeking joy, doing good, eating, drinking, and worshiping God, we will fail at that. For all of us, failure is everywhere. We fail at recognizing as God as the one in control of time, as the one who controls our fate. We, even when we do our best to believe in this type of God, we still fail. God gives us seasons and times and asks us to do the right thing in them. But can we really say, as when we look at our own lives, can we really say that we've done that in a perfect way? When it's time to love, do we actually love? When it's time to speak, do we actually speak? When it's time to be patient, do we actually show patience? When it's time to obey your parents, you know, do you actually obey your parents? You know, I think for all of us, we struggle with this command from God. When seasons and times come, we don't follow through. And we, uh, but here's the good news. Our God knows that about us. And what I love about uh, shows like Loki is that it helps us to ask questions about who our timekeeper is. Is the real-life timekeeper like the one in the show? 
And what we find out is that God is not actually like that. Um, yes, our timekeeper is all-powerful, right? He can, controls all of time. He controls uh, our fate. But he's not uh, similar in, to those in the show in one way. Our God is actually good. He is gracious and compassionate and loving. And we know that because our timekeeper came into this world as Jesus. God could have left us to our failure, right? He could have left the timeline. Uh, he could have left our questions unanswered. He could have left evil to continue on, to run rampant. Or he could have saw uh, the sin that was happening in our world and just completely destroyed the timeline itself. He could have destroyed the world. But he did neither of those things. Our failure actually made him draw closer to us. And he did that by entering into the timeline. He gave up his power of controlling time. He became human. He experienced his own seasons and times for 33 years, and he did it perfectly. His whole life included being born, weeping, laughing, building up, breaking down, going to work, celebrating with family, grief and loss, among many other things. And when it finally came to die, he actually went through it with it. He died for all of us. He did it all with the right heart and at the right time. But when it came time for judgment, God gave him our judgment. And for those who are in Christ, we get his judgment. He lived life perfectly. You know, sometimes one-time events define eras. They mark new eras, right? 9-11 uh, has done that for, our, for many of us, for all of us. The invention of the iPhone did that. It marked a new era. I think the life of Jesus and his death and resurrection did that in a greater way. By this one-time event, God has shown us what is the point to all our seasons and times. God is trying to save the world. He entered into the timeline to save the world. So, what's, so what should we do? Well, I think for us, it's to be repentant, to live faithful and worshipful lives towards God by looking at the one who did it perfectly. We should look to Jesus, have faith in Jesus as we do that. So let's pray that we do that this coming year. Let's pray. Lord, Father, uh, we thank you for this morning. Uh, we pray for your help. Uh, we are people who fail all the time. When we look at the seasons and times, we do what we shouldn't do. Um, and we thank you that you have loved us, that you have pursued us and brought us Jesus who died for us. Pray for this year. Pray that we live this year full of faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks, Jason.